everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast through the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and I'm here with my friend and partner, Mark Freeman. Hey, yo. What's up, dude? It's all good. Man, I've enjoyed this series that we've been doing the last couple episodes. I hope you have uh, been enjoying it. We've been kind of um, answering, kind of wrestling through some questions about the authority. Where does authority come from? It's kind of where we started. Where does authority come from? And you know, where does truth come from? Ultimate comes from God, revealed in Jesus, revealed through his word. And that is what we believe, that, that truth is found in God's word. And then we spent some time last time just kind of building on that a little bit, just kind of talking about what the Bible says about itself, about does it claim to have this sort of authority? And and what what is it? And really, I think we ended up spending some fairly impromptu time, it feels like to me, just kind of talking about what is it like to even wrestle with that idea of me wanting to have authority versus really yielding authority to God through his word mm-hmm. and um, ultimately kind of coming to the conclusion still that we really believe that God's word is true and that's where truth is. We need, so we need to be really careful about how we interpret it because that is the Christian's ultimate source for truth about the world, about God, about ourselves. So I want to be faithful to submit to that authority, and I want to be faithful to be a diligent student of the Scriptures, not with an arrogance that says I've got everything figured out always, but constantly learning to understand what God's Word really says and what it means when it says it. And so we've been kind of back and forth and on that for a couple of episodes now, but I feel like we've got one more really big question left and probably a hundred other small ones that would take three years worth of podcast to answer, but I feel like we got one more big one left. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too, because if you're going to, if you're going to say that the Bible has that kind of authority, which I kept thinking about this, the last episode, man, the, uh, I've always loved C.S. Lewis, his, uh, his statement about you know, don't don't come at me with this. Jesus was just a good teacher mm-hmm. because of the claims he made about himself. He didn't leave us that option. Right. He is either a crazy man, he's an absolute liar, or he is Lord. And um, I had never thought about that with what the Bible says about itself, mm. but that it also doesn't leave us any room <laughs> to right. just treat it like a normal book because it doesn't because of what it says about itself. Right. We have to come to it and decide either it is authoritative. Or it's or it's nothing. It's just you know it doesn't. It's, there's no in between. It's no just hey, this is just some good ideas, right? Um, so anyway, I'd never thought about that, but it does. It it begs the question. So we're we're saying a lot about this, and we're right. giving it we're giving it a really high place in our life and our church and our decision making and our you know what we do and uh, the way we see things. So how did the Bible? I mean, I know it's a bunch of books. Everybody, like, how do, you know, this, and we've decided, you said scripture, but there are a lot of ancient spiritual texts. Right. I mean, why why, why this group of books and this group of authors and this, uh, yeah, where did that come from? How does that all work? That is, that is an amazing question, and that is definitely what I feel like the big question is, which is, if we say that scripture is inspired by God, and this happens 2,000 years ago in the case of Paul and earlier for the stuff in the Old Testament. And now here I am, thousands of years later, in a completely different language, 
reading an English translation of the Bible, can I trust that these are the words that God inspired? Because, you know, the, the, the word that we talked about in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's sourced by Him. And then we talked about that other verse that says that combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words and that, that, that Paul's talking about, even if, if, I, even if I just wrote it down, you better, you better make sure you believe it. You know, that these, these words that were written down by a varying group of authors, if we believe that those words were sourced by God, what level of trust can I have that these words are those words? Mm-hmm. And because the doctrine of inspiration, this is kind of a theological deal. We kind of talk about inspiring, that when we say inspired by God, we don't mean I, I felt something and so I wanted to write it, not inspired like he's a cheerleader, but a deeper inspiration as source and life. And so the pretty pretty well-used definition for what inspiration means is that essentially that the Bible is, again, comes from God. And if it comes from God, it's completely trustworthy. We use words like inerrant or infallible, which can feel overwhelming. But if we can say that if the words come from God, God doesn't lie, God doesn't make mistakes. So the words that God said, he said them without error. And so what he told the author to write, and, and again, the, the definition also is superintend. He kind of superintended the author to make sure that what the author wrote would be without error coming from God. And so essentially, that idea, inspiration, really only applies to the original manuscript that they wrote it on. Because inspiration happened at the moment of authorship. He inspired the process by which the book was written. So Moses writes it out, Samuel writes it out, Isaiah writes it out, Mark writes it out, not you, different Mark. Mm. Paul, John, Peter, when they wrote it out, they were inspired by God. That was a God-breathed moment. And so it was true of the words they wrote. We don't have that. We have something very different. So the question is, can I trust what I have? And so really, this is kind of how I have historically answered this question. In order for me to trust God's word, the Bible that I have, I guess we'll say it that way, I can 100% trust God's word. Can I trust the Bible I have to be God's word? There's two things that I have to believe. One, I have to believe in the doctrine of inspiration. I have to believe that the Bible is God-breathed that, and that God is capable, 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 desiring, and did use a human person to create something error-free. Now, humans make mistakes, and so if you're going to use the human mm-hmm. author, it's going to have mistakes. Do I believe that God is capable of using a sinful, mistake-filled person to do something error-free? Mm. Can God work through somebody to write something like that? And I think the answer to that question is yes. Of course he is capable of doing that. God is capable of working through somebody that everything that they say for a given time period is 100% true. That's what, that's what prophets do. I mean, I think I, could, I can do it for one sentence. 
<laughs> my birth name is Charles Emmett Lofton. Sure, I'm a sinful person, but I am capable for a short windows of time of saying true things. You messed up, things. man. I'm calling you Emmett from now on. <laughs> I think I prefer Charles. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna go that direction, I've, I've used Chuck a lot. You a can call bit. me C. Emmett Lofton. That's my lawyer name. Ooh. Uh, where were we? Oh, yes. Sorry. And so, if God gets involved, then I'm capable for a p- particular period of time for speaking truth even longer, as long as God wants to. And so, that's the doctrine of inspiration. Do I believe that God is capable of doing that? And do I believe that God did that? So that's that's faith step one. Faith step two is, do I believe that same God can and did superintend, oversee the process by which it went from Paul wrote it on a on, on a on a on a on a piece of papyrus sent it to Galatia and 2000 years later what i have communicates the same thing do i trust that god oversaw that process so there really are two significant moments of faith and so you know you can go in and analyze the process which i'm more than happy to do i mean i've I've given day-long seminars on this topic. I can talk about this for anywhere from two to 400 minutes, depending on what the situation calls for. Do you have, do you have 400, 400 minutes? Do you have 400 minutes? That was a weirdly specific number. It really was. And I'm trying it's to not divisible by 60. It's not hours. <laughs> I did it on purpose because I'm an idiot. Uh, and so, it, um, but really, no matter what I say, whatever we say about the authorship and whatever we say about how the particular books got selected, whatever we say about the process by which the books were copied, whatever it is we say about the way the Bible has been translated, you can always give back the answer that if humans are involved, there is the potential and capacity for sin and error. That is absolutely 100% true. I mean, there's nothing I can say to convince you that I can show you without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt that the element of human error has been eliminated because there has been some human error that has, that has gotten involved. And so I can't say, I wouldn't say that. And even if I could, it, I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't prove it. And so ultimately before we even get into the, the details, um, Really, both of these things come from a trust and faith in God. Do I believe God inspired them? And do I believe that same God that inspired them would protect the word that he inspired? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love it because it's just uh, the reality of faith is one of those things that we we want to get to a place where it doesn't require it. <laughs> right. But God has not given us that in any at some point, you're gonna you're gonna hit a place where you're gonna have to go. All right, I I trust. Then something I can't see. Does God want me to have a trustworthy translation of His Word? Is that what God wants? And was He willing to do what had happened? To do what was necessary to make that happen. That really is. 
it is, it's not just simply an act. It, it really at its core is, is a thing of faith. And so then I go to all these things that I learn and, and I'm blinded, but I am, I'm informed by that. When I look, when I read all these things about all the processes that, that happened to, to make this happen, I look at it through a lens of this seems like what a trustworthy God would do. Mm. So we can take these in any order. I'll let you pick. Which which one when you think about this process, which is which is the one that kind of hits you? Is it how the books got picked, how they got copied, translation? Which is the one that's kind of like, ah, that's the one that I kind of wonder about the how most. How they got picked, probably. Yeah. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, and some were picked and some weren't picked and Right. Um, there were people making those decisions and yeah, it seems like that's where error could have entered the easiest. Right. Maybe. So let's just think about it. Let's think about it legit, like logistically and historically. Um, while the apostles are alive all the way up until I think John died, probably around the year 90 AD, you know, and Revelation being the last book that was written, all the way up until the point that the apostles were alive, um, Scripture was still being written. And so there was no point while the apostles were still alive that there was a point in which, okay, we're, we're done. We're done now. We're we're done. We're done. And and so there's no there's no there's no there's no means by which one could say, okay, th- this is this is all the things post Jesus that are Bible scripture. And so then you write a letter and you send it to Galatia. You know, um, the people in Ephesus and Thessalonica have no idea, but apparently what's happening is these letters are being copied really because of Paul's instruction to do so. You should copy these and send them on. And so these letters are being copied and sent to other towns. And other towns, so Ephesus is getting to read what he said to Colossae and vice versa. And all these letters are being circulated amongst each other. And then as the the gospel is expanding beyond just these initial cities where Paul was preaching beyond Israel and to kind of the, 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 the Roman cities kind of surrounding it and just kind of expands beyond, um, these letters are just being distributed widely. And so in addition to that, some other versions of the story of Jesus or gospels as we call them are also going out there. And people who aren't apostles, like people like Timothy, right? People who were Peter's disciples, John's disciples, they're also writing letters to other churches and to each other, and all they're spreading around. And so there are all these letters and gospels, some of which we know about, some of which are they're known, but a lot of, you know, most people don't know about. They're being circulated widely. And there's no denominations, and regardless of what the Catholic Church wants us to believe, there really was not a uniform worldwide authority structure by which there was it was very clear who's in charge and this is exactly what we would believe what would happen would be from time to time situations would come up they would start challenging whether or not Jesus people would start challenging whether or not Jesus was fully God which was really never the debate the biggest debate the churches ever really had were mostly around was Jesus actually a real person Mm-hmm. Or was he just God pretending to be? Now, there was one, a controversy called the Aryan Controversy, not to be confused with A-R-Y-A-N, Hitler, 
A-R-I-N, Arian, a guy named Arius, kind of a more of a predecessor to modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses, who did believe that Jesus was just a human. And so there would be all of these controversies, and when these controversies would arise, kind of the leaders in all of these different cities would come together and they would have, have a council. And they started to have the, these, these leaders in these cities would gain the title of bishop. And then eventually the structure by which the Catholic Church um, happened, where there was kind of a bishop of bishops, the Bishop of Rome kind of existed as the Bishop of Bishops, all of this starts to happen. And so most of these things were governed city by city until there kind of became a growing need to bring an answer to these things. And so whether or not which of these letters and gospels and books are the authoritative ones or not really just wasn't a question that they necessarily felt like answering. It wasn't like there was this point at which we've got to figure this out. And really, to be able to answer that question thoroughly is going to require a significant amount of time to happen for these things to fully circulate amongst the world. And so what happened was, is that there was a controversy um, where, you know, a, her a heresy develops, a guy named Pelagius, he, he develops this heresy. Pelagius. Yeah, I know, he's the worst. Uh, you know, Not plagiarist. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't stealing other people's work. Pelagius. Anyways. And he put together what he considered to be a canon, which was a, um, I think it was like excerpts from the Gospel of Mark and some of Paul's letters. And through a select view of these things, was able to develop a fairly works-centered approach mm. to Christianity. Mm. And so this this was needed to be put down. So he's he is spreading out there. This is what what we call this is the New Testament. And then like whoa 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 whoa. So then the bishops and the leaders are like, we 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 need to put a stop to this. And so there were two councils, one around 393 called the, the Council of Hippo, which is the name of a town, not a large water mammal. But did their high school mascot, was it a hippo? Though? It would had to have been, wouldn't it? That would it? be awesome. Or maybe just call yourself Why have the, we hippo, missed that? the hippopotamuses. Do you know any towns that the, the high schools, the mascots we're gonna have to, well, that, that sounds like a great topic for When we start year. a school. It needs to be, in, <laughs> we, first we have to rename the town. We have to rename the town <laughs> Hippo. Wow. And this, so this was, about, this was around 393 AD, and then the Council of Carthage four years later, 397. And so what they did was, this was, and again, it was it was built out of a concern, and, and the question was, okay, what are the authoritative texts? And... The process, the their their decision making process really came down to three different ideas. Does it have apostolic authority? Did an apostle write it, or did someone under the immediate care of an apostle write it? Not a disciple of Paul after Paul was dead, but a companion of Paul. So Paul was kind of with Luke when he wrote the gospel. Mark was with Peter when um Mark wrote his gospel? Or did an apostle write it like Matthew, like John, like Paul, like Peter? And so does it have apostolic authority? Is it theologically consistent with each other and with the Old Testament? And does it have 
universal appeal and acceptance. And so the third one I'll explain this way pretty easily. You can imagine a book that Paul would write to, to Galatia where he's like, tell Fred to cut it out. He's an idiot. He needs to stop. Jim, sorry for whatever Fred's doing. Please hang in there. Love, Paul. I mean, that's really a powerful letter that Fred really needs to listen to. But it is not universal in its nature. Mm. Right? And then there are going to be some book letters that were probably written or gospels that were probably written that the president goes, this is, this is good, not great. And probably didn't feel compelled to copy, or they did. It was just kind of like, hey, this is kind of interesting. You should probably read this. But it, if, if, if it's God-breathed, you would expect it to have a certain intangible quality to it and also a universal nature to it. Probably the one that is probably most on the fence when it comes to that is Philemon, which seems to be addressing a very specific issue with a very specific guy. But the principles in there about about freedom and kindness and treating one another with respect and dignity were are still universal enough. They include it. Second Timothy is a little bit like that, right? There's yeah, just some of these cool. things like, oh, well, maybe Galatians even, right? There's some of these that are kind of like this seems this is definitely addressing a very specific situation. But even still, there's a universal appeal to it. There's a universal quality to it. So there's an apostle involved. The theology is consistent. And um, there's, a, there's a universal nature to it. So they're debating all of these things. And it was a debate. There were some things that were involved. I mean, James seems a little different than some of the other ones. It got debated a lot. Revelation, just weird. It got debated. You know, there's some ones that was kind of like, there was, some, there was some conversation about it. And ultimately, both of those councils came to the list of what we would call the New Testament. And it really wasn't until the second one, the Council, Council of Carthage, and they had a follow-up a few years later, that it really just kind of felt like for the first time, the church, the universal church at the time, the Catholic church at the time said, these are the books. And if you want to say it was, it's a, it was a, about politics and power, yeah, I mean, between the established church and these cults and heresies that were s- sprouting out. So that's either a good thing or a bad thing. Was I can't say, no, it had nothing to do with power and politics. Of course it did, because I don't want cult leaders and heretics to have power. It's like, do, you know, and so now we have to trust, we have to trust some people that probably did rightly have mixed motives, and we also have to trust a God that superintends it. But, I mean, to me, we've got people who are genuinely both culturally and time-wise significantly closer to the timeline than we are who, I mean, regardless of mixed motives, wouldn't their primary motive be? I mean, when you're, when you're a person and you say that you're a bishop and you got a whole bunch of them, and our primary mission here is to figure out which one of these books are sourced by God. And if we say it, then what we're saying to the world with confidence is, this is from God. I don't know these guys. Two people I might be worried about. Three people maybe. But this number, that level of accountability, I don't know how you feel when you teach. I get nervous every time. Mm -hmm. Because people are, when I get up there and talk, they're, they're thinking, he, this dude's about to tell me what God thinks. And that's scary. 
I can only imagine, even again, even if these guys have mixed motives, in there has to have been a significant fear of what would happen if people who say they represent God claim something is from God, but they really don't believe it, but they do it because they think it gives them some power. Mm. I'm just not in on that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so then there really has not been any real challenge to that in the over 1,600 years since then. I mean, there's some famous things like that Martin Luther said that he didn't particularly care for the book of James. <laughs> he's not, he probably not the first person to say that, and he's certainly not the last person to say that. People have wondered about Revelation. They wondered about it then. People still wonder about it now, right? It's I think it's very normal and natural to feel like one or two books may stick out from the rest, but there's never really been any significant challenge to that as the collective works. And so there's some books that refer to as the Apocrypha, which is different than the books that are in between in the Old Test, Old New Testament. There's some other books um, that that didn't make it in, um, but most of them were just second-generation books. They're not bad books, necessarily. They're just second-gen, right? And it's like, we're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not going to include those. It doesn't make those books bad anymore than it is bad if you quote a Wayne Grudem theology book to right. somebody or an Andy Stanley leadership book. It doesn't make them bad. They're just, they don't feel like they have that same level of authority and quality. Any follow-up questions, any of that? I know that was very speechy. No, but it was very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, in addition to that, then there's a process by which these things are getting copied. And and again, um, there is an overwhelming amount of texts, like man- old manuscripts, old Greek manuscripts of New Testament letters, an overwhelming number, overwhelming even people who are not inclined to believe the Bible as being inspired by God would say there is probably more textual evidence. We probably have a higher level of confidence in, in that the texts have been copied authentically. And you put it, you have, we have enough of them to know, oh, okay, well, this one is a little bit different than this, but we got so many of them to compare. We got 20 that say this and one that says this. This is clearly what was meant. This is just a mistake somebody made. They just skipped over a word, or they added a word, or a word got misspelled here. There's so many different copies that there is a high level, just an overwhelmingly high level of confidence that the manuscripts themselves are the same. And there's some great examples of this. You ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Mm -hmm. So there was a time when the earliest copy of the book of Isaiah that we had was a few hundred years after Jesus died. And so then there's certain parts of Isaiah that were just like um, talking about, that talk about Jesus very, it seemed like he's talking about him very specific. He's going to be like this, he's going to be like this, he's going to be like this, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And it was a very common belief all the way up until the moment of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is again in the 1900s, um, that yeah. Somebody had written. They, they wrote that in. They wrote that in post Jesus, but then in the discovery of these Dead Sea Scrolls, um, a copy of Isaiah that predates Jesus was found, and it was found to be almost identical to the Book of Isaiah that we had. 
and very much had those Jesus-centered passages word for word the same. And there are just a lot of stories like that. You would think at some point there would be some copy somewhere that would emerge or something that would make you think, we missed this. You can tell this, this, this whole thing, oh, this, is, this is all bad. But there's just a high level of confidence. And there are a couple of stories, a couple of things that are, that are in, in your New Testament that people still have some question marks about. The story of the woman caught in adultery, used not, without sin, cast the first stone. The, the Great Commission at the end of Mark where it says, hey, you're going to see since different drink poison, have snakes. People are like, the question whether or not that was a late ad and not part of the original. But if you take all of those out, if you take out, hey, the, the he who was out sin cast the first stone, take it out. It doesn't exist. Do we know less about the character of Jesus? That's just another story. Mm-hmm. Of a pretty consistent character trait of Jesus, and the, the great you take the Great Commission out of Mark, it's still in Matthew, it's still in Luke, it's still in Acts. It's it's still there. It's still there. Well, you, oh, but the thing about the thing about the snakes. Well, the thing about the snakes is widely misunderstood. It doesn't say that everyone is going to get bit by a snake. This is one of the signs of the power of the gospel. Will be some people will get bit by snakes and won't die, which in fact happened. Right. Like 15 years later to Paul it, in Malta. It was recognized. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it did happen. doesn't mean it's going to happen to you today. doesn't mm-hmm. mean you should have snakes in your service. doesn't mean you should drink poison in your service. Just because it's been misinterpreted doesn't mean it's... But anyway, you get rid of that, there's, there isn't anything lost. And so I believe that if, if, if you were... Again, even the people who are the most critical of God's word have a high level of confidence in it. Again, they would say, "Hey, if it if it's if it's God, we should have a hundred percent level of confidence. Ninety nine point nine isn't good enough." Well, let's just say, let's imagine a hypothetical where every copy, every manuscript of every New Testament book we ever saw were exactly the same. You know what people would say then? Conspiracy theory. Oh, it's too perfect. It's <laughs> fake. It's it's fake. Because it's not possible for this to be true. So in the, in the realm of realistic, you would, you would expect if God is superintending the process, you would expect a super high level, 99.99% of accuracy. And you would expect there to be a widespread number of manuscripts that were preserved. That's what you would expect, and that is what you have. And the last thing that I think that is incredibly important, and I know this is more speechy than normally we do this, um, some people say I can't trust my English translation because it's a little bit like the game of telephone. Well, it was written in Greek, and then it was translated into Latin, and then it was translated into German, and then it was translated into English. Well, all of those things are true, except they're not in a dotted line. Mm-hmm. It was translated from Greek to Latin, and it was translated from Greek to German, but it was not translated from Latin to German. It was translated from Greek into German. And all of the English translations we have, every one of them, were translated directly from the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts that they had at the time. Every every one of them. There is some debate about whether or not maybe one book in the King James was translated from the Latin. 
There's a Latin version out there called the Septuagint, which you know, we're just kind of nerding here for a little bit, that whether or not that was used for some of the King James. But we have these are these are all direct translations. And some they're all going to be very different from each other because they have different approaches. Some are going to be highly more literal. Some are going to intentionally use higher church language. Some of them are going to just be more casual in the way that they're written. But everybody who undertakes this undertakes it with, I want to be faithful to this. Well, you're saying that nowhere ever and any time anybody's ever inserted their own political ideology into a translation? Oh, would never say that. But in the same way that we have a voluminous number of um, manuscripts, we also have a wide variety of scholarship and scholars and translations to which one person having an agenda wouldn't last very long. Right, it's so overwhelming. Right, because there are way too many people looking at it being like, that's not how that word is translated. And... I believe unintentional errors that have been made in translation over the years are constantly being corrected. And so we are constantly refining the process, constantly getting better and better Greek manuscripts, and constantly getting better and better translations. But over, above, and all of that, do we trust a God in the process? So to me, there, there's plenty of reason to be confident in the process as it's understood. I think I can trust this as a reliable representation. But on top of that and in that is I trust God wants me to have his word. Mm-hmm. Any follow-up questions there? I think if I did, I would send us down another rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you at least listening. It wasn't a rant, I don't guess, but it was. It's a. Uh, it's a pretty well, not rehearsed. It's just a, it's a thing that's deep in me. It's 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 something that really has mattered to me over the years. I spent a lot of time in my college years and in the years immediately after that, really studying that and understanding it because there was a time when it's a pretty big question people were asking. I think most of the questions people are asking now really are kind of what we talked about last time. Can I really trust the authority that this has when it competes against what I want to believe or what we want to believe as a society? I think that's most of the question. It's really not about whether or not you know, the divine nature of the transcription process or the translation of the Latin Vulgate and the Septuagint and all of these things. I mean, there's just, hmm. those aren't the questions that people have, but I just think it's important just for people to be able to hear it. And if you do have that question, you can feel confident. And honestly, I would be like, if you really do have more questions on this, I'm available. I'm not trying to talk anybody's ear off for, 400 minutes (laughs) but if you need an extra four or five minutes i would be glad to keep talking to you so please just let me know you can email me charlie at thegrovechurch.org we can talk about this all you want any questions you have 
And um, Abigail, who's over here running the cameras, I know she's probably over the course of the last 20, 30 minutes probably has 15 questions. <laughs> Have you already texted them to me? Oh, great. She's, she's already texting me some, so that's going to be great. So uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. And I really do hope that it says strengthened your faith and to the degree that it's had you asking questions. I hope you'll ask them. And you can do that by, again, by emailing me or we can just connect on a Sunday. You can find everything you need to know about us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. Whether you are local or away, you can join us in person or stream us online. Connect with us. We would love to hear from you. Mark, again, thanks for being here and being a part of this. Thank you for being a part of this, and we'll see you soon. Have a blessed day.